Colby Daniels Podcast, episode 17. I can't believe it. The NBA playoffs are here. As I record this, the first two days are in the books. Both number one seeds from the East and West go down on the first two days of August Madness. That's at least what I'm calling it because it feels like a college basketball type March Madness scenario where we have games all day long. This is outstanding. I love it. I've been saying for weeks, I felt like this environment was going to give us a more competitive atmosphere than we're used to in the NBA. And I don't think you have the mental and physical fatigue from these guys, which allows them to buy into their competitive nature even more. The weight of each game being played is significantly more than just having that one of 82 type mentality. No airplanes and hotels and anything else that could be a distraction. It's such a unique opportunity for these guys to play basketball, take care of themselves the way that they should, and show up 48 hours later and do it again. On top of the fact that all these guys have to see each other. I was laughing at Jamal Murray posting this video the other day after Denver beats Utah, and there's Donovan Mitchell just sitting at this table, and the guy just scored 57 points against Jamal Murray a few minutes before. Like, it's it's amazing that all these guys are sharing this same space And nobody wants to lose and have to see the other guys just walking around with smiles on their face. Like, that should be the ultimate motivation to not lose. But I couldn't be more thrilled with the product that we've seen from the NBA. Once again, they've done an amazing job of keeping everyone safe. And the games themselves, the basketball, has been outstanding. I said last week I didn't like where the Bucs were. I didn't like where the Lakers were. I thought it was concerning that both of those teams, for the most part, look like hot garbage going into the postseason. And when I say that, I also recognize the fact that both teams wrapped up their number one seed. There wasn't a lot to play for. But in my mind, when you have teams like that that have not played in such a long period of time, and then you only have eight games to get ready for meaningful basketball, because for them, that eight-game stretch was basically preseason. They really didn't have to treat that like a lot of other teams did. And so neither team really experienced any urgency. So from that standpoint, I get why both have looked so average or below average. But I also felt like neither team used that eight-game stretch to get into a rhythm, to find any chemistry within their roster. And that's concerning, especially for the Lakers that are playing a Portland Trailblazer team that as constructed right now, I think is a top three or four team in the West. You know, another guy that Portland's missing that we're not talking about is Rodney Hood, who is another valuable player if he's healthy. But Portland right now is the most healthy they've been all season long. You get Nurkic back. Carmelo Anthony looks terrific athletically. Gary Trent Jr. has been fantastic. CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. What can you say about Damian Lillard? He's the best player in the NBA right now. He is the best player in the NBA today. It is unreal what he has done in the bubble. He has put this team on his shoulders. I never watched Damian Lillard and feel like he held anything back. He's got that killer instinct that we talk about in sports all the time. And right now he's leading his squad and it's fun to watch. But back to the original point, I was really curious to see if I was falling into the trap with the Bucs and Lakers and they were going to get into the playoffs and just automatically flip that switch and look like the best two teams in basketball And at least in the first round, that was not the case. I think both teams were exposed, and it's exactly why I felt like there was a missed opportunity for both of these groups to take advantage of the eight-game stretch and be playoff ready when game one rolled around. 
Speaking of competitive nature, I've got to talk about this because this really bothered me as a sports fan and more importantly, really bothered me as a Texas Ranger fan. The other night, the Texas Rangers are playing the San Diego Padres. They're getting destroyed. The Padres are dominating the Rangers. It's the eighth inning. The Padres have the bases loaded. Fernando Tatis Jr. at the plate. The pitcher falls behind 3-0. Everyone knows what's coming next. Fernando Tatis Jr. knows what's coming next. And he crushes the next pitch out of the ballpark for a grand slam. Again, the Padres are up 10-3 in the eighth inning. And Tatis hammers a 3-0 pitch out of the ballpark. Grand slam. It's now 14-3. All Padres. I happen to see some Ranger fans on my Twitter timeline being annoyed that Tatis swung at that pitch. After the game, there are comments about whether or not it was the right thing for him to do to swing the bat at a 3-0 pitch leading by seven in the eighth inning. And everybody goes back to these unwritten rules of baseball. And apparently, swinging at a 3-0 pitch when you're up by seven in the eighth inning is frowned upon in terms of the unwritten rules of baseball. This is the most idiotic thing I've ever heard. There are a lot of unwritten rules of baseball that make sense that are probably good ideas to follow. It is completely absurd to expect somebody at the professional level to not compete. So this idea that Fernando Tatis Jr. is in the box and he knows what pitch is coming and he has an advantage over the pitcher and he doesn't take advantage of it basically goes against everything that we believe in when it comes to teaching sports. Let's start with the Padres angle on this because apparently the Padres manager didn't like that, that Tatis swung at this pitch either. This is funny to me because there is a San Diego Padre player who at times in his career has been criticized for the effort or lack of effort, I should say, that he's given during a baseball game. And that's Manny Machado. Now the expectation is if you're leading by seven and you're up in the count 3-0 and you have a decided advantage over the pitcher, you shouldn't take advantage of it. It's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life. If you don't want the guy swinging for the fences because you're up by seven runs in the eighth inning, take him out of the game. If you feel like the game is over, then why is your star player in the game anyway? I blame the Padres manager for having him in the game. If he felt like it was over, Tatis has no business being in the game. He has no business being on the field and potentially getting hurt if you think this game is over. That's the first part of this. The second part of this goes to the Texas Rangers, a team that I'm a fan of. First of all, don't put yourself in that scenario. Don't fall behind by seven runs. If you're worried about the guy hitting a grand slam, he knows what's coming, you know what's coming, Maybe don't throw that pitch. The expectation that the other team should quit trying because they have a large lead is stupid and I want no part of it. This whole, that's the way we grew up playing the game, expecting the opponent to quit trying because they have a large lead before the game is over is a loser mentality. Don't fall behind. Don't fall behind in the count. If you're worried about him hitting the grand slam, throw a different pitch. Don't expect that he's going to quit competing because you suck and the game is almost over. That's not the way this works. You have to play a full nine innings. And until we get to some mercy rule in baseball, you're always taught to compete till the end. Win or lose, leading or trailing, you give everything you have until the game is over or until the whistle blows or the final buzzer sounds, whatever the scenario. It's so stupid to me that anyone would get upset at a guy for continuing to compete in a sport where he's getting paid millions of dollars to compete. So as a sports fan, it just pissed me off from two angles. Padres manager, you don't like your guy competing in the eighth inning up by seven runs. Take him out of the game. You're giving him an at-bat and expect him to 
give it away. These guys are competitive. This guy wants to hit home runs. This guy wants to have a good batting average. And if you're on the losing end of this, stop crying over the ass kicking that you just took. Use it as motivation and show up and win big tomorrow. I hate that loser mentality of take it easy on us because we're not having a good day. These are professional baseball players. They're not little leaguers. They're getting paid millions of dollars. If they're in the game, they need to compete. If you feel like the game has been decided, then put players in that could use some valuable playing time to continue to compete. Get out of here with that going through the motions to finish a, a ball game. All right, Thunder go down to the Houston Rockets in game one of the NBA playoffs. 123-108 was the final. Basically, the Rockets controlled this game from start to finish. Thunder were really never that competitive in this one. James Harden, Eric Gordon, Jeff Green, the Rockets were just hitting on all cylinders, and the Thunder never really found a rhythm. So here you go, the OKC basketball team live stream. Colby Daniels, Joe Adkins, following last night's game, our thoughts. What went wrong tonight? Well, in this game, a little bit of everything. I thought Oklahoma City, they were never in sync from the start. They tried to establish Steven Adams early. They were somewhat affected, but defensively, they just struggled all night. Against Houston, of course, it's an unorthodox style, and it's a different style of play. You won't see that against any other team, so that makes it difficult to prepare for. No matter what you do in the game of basketball, the guy with, that's dribbling the ball, you have to keep him in front of him. And Oklahoma City didn't do that all night. Houston continued to get in the paint, whether they got a layup or kicked out for a wide open three, no matter who was covering, just nobody was in There was no help there when guys got beat, so they didn't rotate well. Um, it just wasn't an Oklahoma City-type effort, what we're accustomed to seeing. And and it's kind of – it's probably extremely frustrating for Billy Donovan to that, this to, right now to look at his team and say, Houston was the better defensive team. Because if you're not going to be the best defensive team on the floor, you don't have any chance if you're Oklahoma City to win the series. And we talked about that on Saturday when we were previewing this series. I think a lot of people have kind of looked at Houston and thought they're not very good defensively, and we talked about how improved they are on that end. They contributed to the Thunder's offensive struggles. As I'm watching that game, I kept going back and forth on which side I felt like struggled more. Was it the Thunder offense or was it the Thunder defense? Because we know the Thunder are better defensively than they are offensively. So while the offense was a glaring problem, the Thunder's defense wasn't nearly as, as good as we're, we're accustomed to seeing. No, it wasn't. And, and as I said just a few seconds ago, that just getting beat off the dribble, um, guys hitting open, leaving guys open, they're making shots. And Houston, they were really good. They had role players play extremely well. Eric Gordon was phenomenal. He hadn't done anything since since he had been in the bubble and in fact he didn't even play but a couple games and jeff green I mean, who's this jeff green guy yeah exactly <laughs> i mean he's a guy that was extremely effective i know he's a 20, he goes for 20 plus um james of course was phenomenal um but they just got whatever they wanted and oklahoma city gonna have to go back and, and look at themselves and say you know what we can't play this style of basketball and we can't play the tempo of Oklahoma city i thought when you talk about their offense, I thought their offense, because they were atrocious, um, I thought it dictated some of the bad defense because they took bad shots. And that ignited Houston in some easy baskets, getting some switches probably that didn't want to go to. So you get called a mismatch. But um, it, it just was a 
that it was a total drop. So I'm, I'm sure they'll have a lot of, to talk about. There's a lot of improvement that needs to be made. Um, I'm, I'm sure they'll make their adjustment if the Oklahoma City is just one game at the end of the day. But the one thing Oklahoma and we Oklahoma City and we talked about this. They're a young team, Kobe. I mean, when you look when you look out there. It was a, a lot of old school guys versus new school guys. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, Oklahoma City, you got one. I, did, I wanted to, I thought it would be better, but I'm not going to say I'm just completely surprised. There is so much inexperience that are, that's getting playing time. And, and guys, Dort being out and he's even a young guy, they weren't at full strength. So it probably made Billy Donovan go a little deeper in the pitch and maybe had to play a couple guys, maybe more minutes than he would want to don't be in there. You got it's next man up. You got to play what you have. And uh, oh, I mean, Houston was playing without Russ, so uh, they're not full strength either. But Oklahoma City definitely has to be better in a couple of days. It was interesting because it's not like I, I thought that the energy was low necessarily or that they weren't trying hard. It was just almost as if on both ends of the floor. Guys got caught up in just watching the game around them as opposed to, like, taking part in the game. Did you get that feeling on both ends of the floor? Yes, and that's especially um, when you talk about offensively. I think that's what, what, what a lot of the problem is. Oklahoma City has been all season more of a, if they didn't play Chris Paul or the pick and roll, they were more ball movement, player movement and the ball stuck to a lot of guys. It was a lot of dribbling, a lot of maybe pounding on the dribble, maybe a little too much. And I don't know if I necessarily like the attack because the one thing about Houston, um, Oklahoma City can't, it's not as hard to cover as Houston because Houston, they can stand and, and watch the ball because the shooting ability of the guys makes Oklahoma City have to account for those guys so they get more room. Oklahoma City doesn't necessarily shoot the ball as well as Houston, especially when you're talking about each guy on the floor. So Houston's going to help a little more. They're going to be, they're going to force guys like they want Diallo to take a couple threes. They want, they're going to give Ferguson those shots. In Oklahoma City, they can't give the open look up that they gave tonight um, in this game. Uh, Houston just, um, they, they played the personnel. Oklahoma City just didn't play well. Chris Paul didn't play well. So if he doesn't play well in this series, Oklahoma City doesn't have a chance. You're done so anyway, yeah. Much better. Um, so that probably was a lot of lot to do with it is that the, the head of the state didn't play well. And once he didn't get it going, he makes that offense go. You would like to think Houston is a much easier to score, but they're going to have to start with Chris Paul being aggressive and more efficient than he was tonight. No question. And, and look, I'll say this. I will give the Thunder credit for – making an effort to take advantage of the mismatch with Steven Adams early in the game. The problem is, and we talked about this on Saturday, a lot of times with Steven Adams, you're not looking to get him the ball with his back to the basket and allow him to, to you know, make post moves offensively. That's not really what he does. But I do appreciate the fact that they tried to take advantage of that early. They were feeding him the ball in the post and, and trying to take advantage of, of the size mismatch inside. The problem is, I know he's probably better than what we saw today, but he's not skilled enough offensively to just do that over and over and over. And and so the Thunder kind of fell in a hole early because they were trying to feed him, trying to take advantage of him, and he wasn't scoring. He wasn't being he wasn't able to take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, but Kobe, 
PJ Tucker's gardening. For sure. PJ Tucker's six five. Yeah. At the end of the day, when Steven Adams turns around, he doesn't even see PJ Tucker. Yeah, he should he's be able to score. Able yeah. To yeah, he's got to score that basketball. Now, if it was Tyson Chandler or someone, I can understand this being a little more difficult. But at the end of the day, he's like playing against his little brother. So he can't let PJ Tucker force him out to eight or nine feet. He got to play closer to the ring. And some of that has to be those guards penetrating and helping him get angles. Different by just throwing it in as it's okay. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, there's a massive size mismatch. And that's why I say I appreciated that the Thunder went after that immediately out of the gate because the first quarter they were dumping the ball to Adams and allowing him to have the opportunity to take advantage of that mismatch. And he failed massively. Yeah, he didn't play well, but... That's a difficult, as you were saying, and we talk about how he doesn't, he's not that kind of post guy. There's not many guys in the NBA right now when you throw them the ball like that, they can score. And it doesn't matter who's guarding them because it makes him post a little further out on the floor. And I think it's key for him to get deep post position. I mean, he's got to play right there at the rim where he can turn around and dunk it or shoot the use his soft touch with the right or left hand I thought he got pushed out a little too far but I think some of that was because the way they initiated the offense into getting it to him I think they the guards have to help him by penetrating even when they drive Oklahoma City the most important thing is to get paint touches and it doesn't necessarily have to be Steven you just want that ball in the lane because when that ball gets in the lane Kobe, it makes that Houston defense suck in so when that defense, it makes those guys suck in. When you shoot it, now you can get back on defense and you don't have to cross with. So I think paint touches are, are very important. So I think that's why they tried to go with that attack with Steven Adams, just throwing it to him on the block. And I thought that could slow the game down and they could, could control tempo. But if they're going to use that attack, he's going to have to be way more effective. Yeah. There, there was a point where they were like 10 of 29, so they had 19 misses, and I'm looking at the box score, and they had two offensive rebounds. That's the other thing that really stands out. It's not even just the fact that they weren't able to score the ball, but the fact that, and, and they weren't able to take advantage of the mismatch inside from a scoring standpoint, but they weren't able to take advantage from a rebounding standpoint either. I mean, if, if you're going to go with that big lineup against Houston's small guys, even if you're shooting bad, there should be a better percentage of second chance opportunities. Yeah, if you if you're gonna play big, you're gonna you're gonna have to win the win the, the war in the lane. They and you're gonna have to win it decisively. You're gonna have to pound them on the board, or you're gonna have to pound them with points in the paint. Or you gotta get them in foul trouble. You gotta get something positive out of it if you're gonna play that big lineup. Otherwise, you're gonna have to pull Adams off the floor. And I don't know if they necessarily wanna do that because of his presence. Um I, I think Gallinari, I thought he was pretty he was pretty good. And this is a series that he can play well in because he does have a big body. So when Houston does switch on him, he can post guys and he doesn't necessarily have to get as close to the rim. Right. As Steve he, he as you saw a couple times, he just turned around. I and like his mid range game, yeah. Yeah, he, he's a, always been a very he's a very good scorer and in this series he can be very good. I'd like to see Oklahoma City maybe try to get him more involved. If you're going to try to go inside and take advantage and maybe let Steven just use that size and angles and crash the offensive boards and putting him in a position where he's probably more comfortable. I'm sure he didn't like the way he played today, and I'm not saying you just 
throw away the the post up game, but I think the way you go about getting it into him, you might have to change that style and that attack. Yeah, the other problem is Dennis Schroeder wasn't very good. SGA was uh, nearly invisible, right? Like what his impact on the game, Joe, today was was virtually nothing. Yeah, Chris, none of the the three their main those three guards play well, and against Houston, if those guys those guys are gonna have to. Those three guys, they're going to have to account for a lot of points and just a creation of a lot of things offensively for Oklahoma City. And definitely they're going to need all three. But if neither of the guys play well, you're going to get a night like this. And, and they had sometimes everyone, they were inconsistent. But I just thought they never got in the flow. They never were just comfortable. They were kind of always playing um, – Retreating rather than playing aggressively. They were always kind of reacting to what was going on. They weren't necessarily being the initiator. And I think they were going to have to be more of the initiator and make this series tough. It can't be a stand-around series with Houston. They're going to have to muck it up. They're going to have to make it ugly. They're going to have to get more physical. They're going to have to touch on Houston. If they just let Houston roll around and maneuver, they'll be out of here before you know it. They're going to have to get a lot tougher and make this a gritty, a much crit, gritty contest rather than a, 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 a mirror or a baby doll show that you saw today where guys are just freelancing and playing really pretty. It was very pretty basketball that you watched. For Oklahoma City to win, it's going to have to be ugly where we talk about a, a lot of different conversation of be talking about defense and how they're pounding on the board rather than offense and, and things, little things are going to be key. And, and I think one of the guys that, that you anticipate bringing that element to Thunder basketball is Lou Dort. And, and that's a big reason why we talked about, um, when was that, Friday or Saturday, uh, after the Thunder's last regular season game. If this guy's not able to go, it's a big miss for OKC. Uh, not only because we anticipate he's the primary defender on James Harden, but he kind of brings that on the perimeter for this team. I know Steven Adams is also that guy in the post, but Lou Dort is your gritty grind kind of you know perimeter player and when you have a Houston team that that primarily plays on the perimeter Lou Dort's presence I think is key for OKC and when you talk about presence I mean when you think about Oklahoma City and their perimeter guys they're all pretty thin and they're small Lou Dort is the one guy that's physical so of course I thought James he really likes those matchups because they're just not big enough. Yeah. I mean, a couple times, even Eric Gordon, he got to the rim. I mean, he bumped Shay and Shay went flying, and he's just landed at the rim. I mean, Eric Gordon's a thick dude, too. I'm mean, James Harden and Eric Gordon are both thick guys. Yeah, they're, they're very physical, and, yeah. and they're older. So Oklahoma City, that's what I'm saying. They're going to have to play with a lot more fight, a lot more punch and a lot more aggressive and get a lot more aggressive because uh, if, if they're going to play on their heels, Houston is just too good offensively to withstand that and put that much pressure on their offense because Oklahoma City is not going to be that good offensively because you're going to need 80 points from just those main three guys if you're going to have to get in contests like this. So they can't afford to do that because they're not that good consistently enough. So Okay, so let's start with the offense and then we'll go to the defense. What is the fix for the offense beyond just making shots. Obviously, that fixes a lot of problems when shots go in, but how are you creating easier offense in the next game? Um, well, I think you get back to what you, you've done during the regular season, making sure the ball is movement, talk about ball movement, and also when the ball moves, you get player movement. 
they've got to also move because the more you make that defense move, the more energy you burn because Houston's not going to play a lot of people. So if you just stand, then they get to stand. The more you move, you make those guys move. So I think the way the, for this series is going to be a long series. So Oklahoma City is going to have to use a lot more movement. Um, and then those three guys, some of it is individual. They've got to play well. Individually, guys have to play better offensively. And it starts with Chris Paul. And, and if he plays well, they're going to give themselves a chance because he can do enough to keep them in it. He's the main guy. He has to play well. The pressure is on him. If he doesn't play well, it's going to be hard for Oklahoma City to win. So I'm going to say the tone starts with him, but you're going to need SGA. He's going to have to be much better. Schroeder's going to have to be better. Um, Gallinari, if he can be consistent in what he did today, I thought Bagley was a pretty effective, though. He knocked down a couple jumpers. He got a charge, but I thought he made a good aggressive move. Another time he got there and he missed, so he's still playing with that confidence. We may see a little bit more of him. Hey, at least somebody um, was aggressive, but, right? I mean, because nobody yeah, else yeah. really had I that mean, aggression. Yeah. I mean, he was going, and, he, and he, he, I mean, he didn't make a lot of mistakes. But um, I think um, it's going to take a, a much better effort. The, the effort wasn't there today. And, and, and that's the one thing, if you're Oklahoma City, that's what bothers you. It's not the fact that you missed shots. It was the effort that you gave. They didn't play hard enough to win the game. And Houston is a team that has the reputation of not playing hard enough, and they outplayed you. So that's got to be a problem for Oklahoma City, and they got to make sure they can match the intensity of the Houston Rockets. On defense, what's the fix? Obviously, if you have Lou Dort, that helps quite a bit in, in what you can do just with James Harden. Not saying he's going to stop James Harden, but he's he's going to be a better defender than anybody the Thunder were able to throw at James Harden today. But, you know, in terms of everybody else, uh, the help side defense, the rotations, Joe, how do you fix that? And again, how much of that was effort in your mind? And, and, that, and that's what I'm talking about. Because against Houston, because of how they space you, not, you can you can make one effort, but that's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to make multiple efforts. So you might have to make two or three rotations, and it's a hard thing to do. And you don't like to do it because you are going to have to exert yourself. But it's playoff time. I mean, you're going to have to do that because Houston, those guys are bad defensive team. They were actually rotating and forcing Oklahoma City to do things offensively that they really didn't want to do. So I think for, for Oklahoma City, the, the number one thing is, Kobe, it has to be – on-ball defense. you got to keep the dribble in front of them. And, of course, you're going to get beat sometimes. But today, tonight, in this game today, it was entirely too much. I thought they just gave up. You're going to give up threes to Houston, but today they gave up way too many two-pointers. And with Houston, two-pointers, a lot of the times are just layups. And if you give them those, I've, I've always said, I've always said, even though Houston is a great three-point team, three-point shooting team, I know they're going to miss some threes, but I don't see many NBA players miss layups. So I say you take the layup away yeah. first. I, well, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of seemed like every shot they took in this game for Houston was either a layup or a wide-open three. It was, I mean, there, there exactly wasn't – and, and that's what they want to do anyway. So, I mean, like, you know yeah. that's their game plan going in. So you, you have to touch on them. So you have to make them drive that ball. And when they go in the lane, you got to put you gotta put some, put some pound on them. You got to send them to the floor a few times. When they when they kick it out, you're gonna have to close out and make that effort. Make those guys make two point shots, but you want them shoot mid range jumpers. So you want those guys to have to pull up because of the physicality that you're you're commanding in the lane. They're gonna have to be much tougher. Stephen Adams is gonna have to be dominant if he's gonna be on the floor. And that, that, that not only scoring, he can score 13 points. 
but he's ha- his presence has to be felt, whether it's rebounding the ball and keeping offensive possession alive or controlling the lane defensively and changing shots. And it's not going to be a lot of that with Houston because they're going to make him play on the perimeter because they space you so well. Who knew that it was only going to take keeping Russell Westbrook on the sideline for him to win a postseason series? <laughs> well, if, I kid, I kid. Just no, jokes, just jokes. Not only that, but with Oklahoma <laughs> City, because they, they didn't play well at all. Yeah. And Houston played extremely well, and, and they made shots. And if Houston makes shots, it puts pressure on Oklahoma City anyway because they just don't score 130 points very often. So – you know, you, you have to be tough defensively on Houston if they want to win this. You've got to be tougher defensively, but also, again, and I can't stress this enough, we talked about it uh, when we previewed this series last Friday night. Houston's better defensively than anybody is giving them credit, and and I think we saw that. They, they didn't allow the Thunder to get going offensively early, and I know the Thunder can do a lot of things better offensively, but you got to credit Houston for not allowing that to be a layup line and not allowing Oklahoma City to get easy back baskets to ever get into a rhythm. Yeah, and the things that we're saying Oklahoma City needs to do, Houston actually made the extra effort. Yeah. They would close the lane and force Oklahoma City to kick that ball out and not let them get those layups like they're accustomed to seeing Houston give up. Um, it, it's not going to be easy on Houston. You can't you can't just come down and, and no pass or one pass it. You got to change the ball, change that side of the floor a couple times where you pass it three or four times and then get into your pick and roll when you're making those guys move and then it becomes easy to score. But if you're going to just come down and watch and let a guy just play one-on-one, not only does that help Houston defensively because they can stand, but it also puts so much pressure on guys to make shots and it puts those guys to standing around. And that's one reason I think you didn't see as many offensive rebounds because guys were just standing on the perimeter and they weren't very active. They gotta get in that they gotta find a way to get in that lane. Regardless of whether Russell Westbrook is back next game, I kinda feel like if you don't have Lou Dort back, you're in big trouble again in game two. If if you don't have Dort, um, you're gonna have to play much better offensively. Um, he's a guy that can bring some presence defensively, if anything. Um so uh, hopefully he's back because uh, he wanted a little more beef on James. I mean, it just wasn't very much beef out there that could that could guard him. Um, he got a pretty much whatever he wanted. Everyone did. So maybe we'll just chop this one up and say Oklahoma City will be much better. I would expect him to be. Um, like I said, and we both know Chris Paul, the competitor he is, he understands how bad he was today and he didn't play well and how important it is for him to play well and for Oklahoma City to win this series. So I expect him to be much better and much more aggressive early in a couple days. Yeah, for sure. Well, that that one will be exciting. By the way, I asked you this question before the playoffs started. I said, am I falling into the trap of thinking that the Bucks and the Lakers aren't looking that good going into the playoffs? They had wrapped up their seeds. They didn't have a lot to play for in this stretch. But when you consider the amount of time off, from the NBA break to the bubble and the fact that you had such a short period of time to get ready for the playoffs, I kind of felt like it may be a real problem that these teams aren't playing well going into the postseason. Milwaukee looked like hot garbage today against Orlando. They dropped game one to the Magic. Now, look, I'm not I'm not worried about them losing the series necessarily, but again, they haven't really found their rhythm. It's early in uh, in that Portland-Lakers game, but but right now Portland's getting whatever they want offensively against the, the Lakers, and the Lakers don't look sharp. 
Not at all. And as you said, both teams were so concerned about health that they gave up some of their conditioning and in, in, in in-game, you know, preparation. Yeah. And yeah. it's hard to simulate games in practice, especially at this time of year, because these guys know how important every second is of being healthy. So they're not even going to go hard and probably do a lot of scrimmaging and things like that. So, yes, I think that rhythm is definitely gone. Um, and a lot about Milwaukee and both of those teams. It's predicated on Giannis creating shots for those other guys. If they don't make shots, those other guys, because they're going to create the shots for them, they have to make the shots. Right. If they don't make the shots, then you put the pressure on Giannis, and he has a monster game, 31-17, and 17, but that's not their attack and what they really want to do. They want to hit you with a lot of different guys and hit a lot of three-pointers and Lakers as well. They just have another luxury in Anthony Davis. So it, it's going to be tough, and teams are just so much better offensively. Um, the three-point shot, is, is um, it, it has really changed. The NBA, watching the NBA now and how they go about offense and how they play it is – it, it, it's re- it's back to being fun to watch because not only do you have the guys who can shoot it from 30 feet, but there are so many big guys that are so creative now. Much better teams watching passing of guys like Jokic, Nurkic, um, even Stephen Adams. Uh, the, the bigs, we're, we're seeing a lot better offense, and I think it's a lot of it is, you know, Cole, you know we were talking about how they were going to play, so why they played well a couple, couple shows ago. Another thing is they don't travel. So even no yeah. matter what, yeah. travel, not having travel, that saves your legs so much within itself. So that's why I think it, you're going to have to see teams like Oklahoma City uh, when they play used to make it more physical because the team like Houston, they are going to be more fresh because it's not like they have to play 50 minutes and 48 minutes like the James, and then you got to go on a plane ride. Well, it's much yeah. easier to go right back over. <laughs> well, and, and there's mental fatigue involved in that as yeah. well. Like, it's not just physical. Like, that wears you down mentally also. Exactly, because the late nights, there's no late nights anymore. So it's just so different that players can rest their bodies that you're going to have to be at your best when it's time to compete. Yeah, for sure. Well, I said that, and, and hopefully I didn't jinx Portland and L.A. go on some, like, 40-2 to two run here in the next five minutes because that's usually what happens when I point something like that out. But, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. I felt like maybe I was I was uh, falling into that trap with the Lakers and the Bucks, and then I see the Bucks just get run over today. And, uh, again, slow start for the Lakers in their game against Portland. So we'll see how it plays out. But, obviously, Oklahoma City, there's a lot that they can control in how they fix things going into game two. And, and to your point, it starts with Chris Paul. Lou Dort also, I think, extremely important for this series and what he means for just that gritty element to their perimeter defenders all the way around. So hopefully game two looks a little bit better from the OKC end. Definitely some things are going to have to change. And I, I think for sure they're going to have to respect what Houston does defensively a little bit more and not just expect it to be as easy as maybe they thought it was going to be. Yeah, and, and I think that that was kind of the – it was a very dull vanilla offense that they came with. And I think they did think Stevens big enough, strong enough that he'll just manhandle his way and get us off to a good start. He'll get us going and we'll just feed off that. Yeah, and if he doesn't, we'll, we'll you know, it'll be a layup line anyway. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and Houston was just much better defensively. But they're veterans, man. Those those guys, don't, that, that's a lot of playoff experience within on that team. So, so you know, mentally they're gonna be prepared to play. So Oklahoma State gonna have to, they're gonna have to be much better. Um, 
They're going to have to be much better defensively. They're going to have to find ways to get easy baskets because you're going to have to score points. So they're either going to have to attack early and score early, or then you got to make it a physical game and make sure you get that paint. Another way that can help Oklahoma City to help them play defense, they got to get to the foul line more. Cause those other guys, Chris Paul, uh, Shea, um, Schroeder, they've got to get fat. They got to get in the bonus. Hey, you they- can't get to the foul line when your offense is dribble, 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 jack. Exactly. Exactly. You can't settle for jump shots. And I talked about that. I've been saying Oklahoma City, they've been three point happy. I haven't really liked it. And and you saw that today, yep. guys just jumping up on the first time they're open and they jump up and shoot it and it ignites a team like Houston in the playoffs. You just don't want to do that. You want to make sure you're maximizing those possessions and you want those guys to be confident. But it's a, a lot of the NBA, as you know, and they talk about this, it's time and score. And at those times, Oklahoma City, in the opportunities and the way they were playing offensively, you had a lot of guys taking shots that you probably don't want to in those situations. Yeah, for sure. It was fun, my friend. Let's do it again Thursday. That is Joe Atkins. I'm Colby Daniels. Thunderfall 123-108 to the Houston Rockets. This is the OKC Basketball Team live stream, and we will talk to you on Thursday. And that concludes this episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please tell your friends about the podcast. That's a huge help to me, and thank you in advance for doing that. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so via Twitter, at Colby underscore Daniels. You can also follow me on Instagram, Colby.Daniels. A couple of big episodes coming up this week. I've got a big-time interview with a former Oklahoma State All-American, another episode with a preview of Big 12 football, and obviously on Thursday, Joe and I will once again give our reaction to Game 2 of the Thunder Rocket series. You guys are the best. Stay safe, and I will talk to you soon. Podcast is over.